Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 29, When the Sound Feels Right. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have John as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm doing good, had good night rest, and ready to start the day. Excellent. For today, it's not about my sleeping habits, it's about your passion, which is sound systems, right? Yes. But before we do sound systems, we need to know the man behind the technology, and that is you. Who is John? Um, I'm, I actually don't work with sound at all. I, uh, I build jumbotrons for golf tournaments, um, but I did used to work in the, in the um, car sound industry, installing stereos and whatnot, but it's always just been a hobby of mine. Um, and then either I'm working on cars, either on engines or sound systems and stuff like that as a hobby. Is that where you got introduced to sound system? Was it like one of your colleagues that was doing sounds and you said, you know what, that looks interesting. Or was it someone else or an event that introduced you to the actual hobby? When I was about 14, my uh, older sister uh, had a boyfriend who had, um, he had a small sound system in his car. I mean, looking back at it today, it was a silly sound system, but it was impressive compared to anything I'd heard since then. And then when I got my own first car, I wanted to do something similar and I didn't have the money. So I just started researching it and trying to learn as much as I could. So when I had money, I could do it properly. Did you ever purchase that sound system that made you fall in love with sound systems? Uh, I've come close to, I mean, my standards have risen significantly since then on what I expect from a sound system. And um, I've built some really impressive stuff since then, most of it for other people. Um, and, but I finally have some stuff, um, like in my, I have a Miata and I have a really killer sound system in it right now. And, um, I'm building a mid eighties full-size Bronco specifically for a sound system. Oh, wow. And so wait, do you actually still have your first sound system that you built or did you throw that away? No, I don't. Um, some of that, my first car was a 1983 Ford Ranger. It was a big pile of junk and, um, I, I basically started experimenting with how to actually build stuff in that car. But as it goes, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, you screw a lot of stuff up. And once you realize what you've screwed up, you just kind of sell it off and let someone else deal with it. Do you regret uh, not keeping the old one? None like to use, but I mean, just for memory saying, oh, that was my first one. I like the overall vehicle. I, I've often thought about getting another one, but finding one that's clean and in great condition these days is really, really difficult. But I'd love to get something of that era um, just because. Of, of the nostalgia of it. Um, it's just a fun vehicle and a fun to experiment with something that had so many limitations on it. So speaking of which, what kind of sound system do you prefer to build? Because it sounds like it's mostly in cars or is there other types? Um, most of my experience is in cars, but I'm also currently building a really, really killer home theater setup. Um, and I'm building it all from scratch. Um, I, I just laid out actually the cut sheets for the wood and everything uh, just a couple of days ago. But I really, my, my idea is to get as faithful a reproduction of the original recordings as I can. So in a car, that means it, if you close your eyes, you can picture the band sitting in front of you on the hood playing. You can picture, this is where the violinist is. This is where the percussion player is. This is where the, you could you know, see um, the guitar player walking back and forth across the stage as he sings and whatnot. That's, that's my idea of what I'm trying to do. So I'm guessing this took you a while to try to perfect the idea of analyzing and determining where sound should come from and how it should sound, right? Yeah, some of it is uh, going to live concerts, whether it's big, giant, you know, 20,000 um, seat venues or little 30 seat venues and stuff. Get an idea of what sound, uh, what, what music sounds like live, as well as um, listening to lots of different stereos, listening to 
get basically getting my ears on as many different setups as possible to get an idea of what I like as well as um, what the possibilities are. And what kind of sound are you trying to achieve with the sound system? Are you trying to focus more? Because you're trying to recreate the actual sound as faithfully as possible, but is there a certain key elements that you look within the songs? You're like, oh, I don't like that. I want to try to improve that. Is it the vocals? Is it the white noise? Is it the bass? Is there any key point that you try to pinpoint that is tough? Vocals are really, really important. Um, a lot of people tend to go, when they first start out, they tend to go heavy on bass. But when you listened, if you were to replay this conversation, it would uh, in the, in those type of stereos, it wouldn't sound natural at all because the bass would be boomy because there's too much of it, um, and my voice doesn't boom in a room, you know. So um, vocals are hugely important on it. Um, percussion is actually really important. That's hard to re recreate. Um, Sarah McLaughlin's live CD actually sounds exactly like her concert. I've listened to her concert for standing at front of house before. And I've listened to her concert and the, the, the mirror ball CD sounds exactly like it. And it's really hard to recreate that in a low powered system because the concert is, has tons of power. And if you don't have that power, you don't get the impact of her percussion player and whatnot. And you've been doing this, like you got introduced to this when you were 14. How many sound systems have you made? And you keep on improving, correct? So what are the, like, the little things you, you realize from your previous uh, project that you said, oh, I could have been done better there? Tuning has come a long way since since I started. Um, since when I first started, everything was analog. Um, there were a few digital things here and there in the consumer world, but they were ridiculously expensive. Um, so everything was analog EQs, analog crossovers. You couldn't do time delay, stuff like that. So over time, um, digital sound processors came along. We just call them DSPs now. And they've become cheap. You know, a few hundred bucks, you can pick one up for your home and make a huge improvement in, in what you hear. Um, that's come a long way. And with that has come the ability, um, you have, uh, programs like room EQ wizard that are free that allow you to analyze your setup and you start learning what you see on graphs, how that translates to what you hear with your ears. And once you learn those two things, you can, you can quickly, you can tune things a lot quicker than you used to be able to do. So you started off with analog. Did, do you feel a nostalgia that you still like to try to use it? Or is it just an old technology that you just want to get rid of? You're like, you know what? I'm done with this. Don't want to touch it ever again. For a while, a lot of uh, before the internet became huge and it was in every single house, um, the sound community did um, participate a lot in, on online, but there wasn't a whole lot of testing equipment that was cheap and reliable. So I did for, fall into that original fallacy of, no, it's got to be analog. It's got to be analog. And then once the ability to test gear and test sound systems became cheap and more information about it came out, I quickly learned how valuable digital is. And now I'm full for digital. In fact, in my car, I go straight digital out of my phone into a DSP and then into an amp that has DSP completely digital and it gets converted to analog right on the output stages. And so it's only one digital analog converter. That's it in the entire setup. Now, I would imagine when you do plug in, let's say your iPod, your phone, you use uh, an auxiliary cord and you don't do Bluetooth because I've heard things that Bluetooth kind of doesn't make the sound quality as good as auxiliary. I could be wrong, but is, is that what you prefer to do? It really depends on input and output devices. So in my car, I actually, I have a workaround. So I use Apple devices. So I actually use a lightning to HDMI converter. And then I have a little device that its sole purpose in life is to strip audio out of an HDMI feed. And then that goes, um, has an optical output that then goes into the first DSP. Um, I don't, I try to shy away from Bluetooth because of my um, experience in the professional world. It makes me just want to keep everything in my life wired. 
Um, I have terrible luck with wireless stuff working properly all the time. And so where, where do you see the future of sound systems going? If you keep up with the news or anything like that, do you see it evolving even more or it's hit a plateau? Things like Sonos and AirPlay competing with each other in the home um, are making it easier to get sound everywhere. But consumers in general are just kind of going towards like just little carry around Bluetooth things. Um, so I think I see improvements in those things. I see in the home theater world, things are getting more complex um, and there's too many different standards floating around and constantly coming out. It's kind of frustrating. Like the 4K thing for video mm -hmm. is fine. And now they're starting to push 8K and you don't need that. <laughs> in fact, you probably don't need 4K. Um, so it's, there's too many, too many stuff coming out in the home world. The car world, um, the manufacturers are making it harder and harder and harder to integrate aftermarket stuff with it. And so the person that wants to spend less than $1,000 for an improvement is just getting priced out of the market. And so it's going into either people who want to spend the money on it or people who are just pure enthusiasts and like the tech side of it. So cars are getting more hard to modify. Is there one car that tops the list as in the easiest still to modify these days? Um, go back to the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so time travel. Okay, yeah. So after the year yeah. 2000, there was... It's all digital. It's all one big piece you buy. And if it breaks, you have to go back to the dealership. You can't kind of thing. Right? Well, and part of it is like the overall shape of the radio. Now you have your, um, the radio isn't just a radio anymore. It's an infotainment center. It's a touchscreen that controls your AC and it controls the various functions on the car, like how loud, how loud the door ding is and stuff like that. And you have the wireless calling built in and it does goofy things with that and there's noise cancellation built in that's tuned specifically for your car at different speeds and stuff so a lot of people that like to tinker are going for keeping the factory system in place um, and just have like say the center dash speaker in place um, and then um, basically building the entire standalone system outside of that and for you personally if you were to buy a car and you had the chance to put an input on how the car should be built for your personal sound system what would you want these manufacturers to do to make it possible to fix or to do do either standard din or double din size radio in the dash and um i think one of the biggest things is properly deadening for road noise unless you spend you know mercedes um, or BMW, like eight series type of money, you're not getting a car that is properly deadened for road noise. Um, and so that's actually one of the first things I tackle when building a sound system in a car is killing road noise. And that can have, you can kill six to eight decibels of road noise by doing it properly. But in order to do it, you have to rip out the entire interior of the car, treat all the metal, and then put the interior back in and make it fit. And by road noise, you mean the noise coming from the outside and how well the car isolates the noise? Correct. Road noise, uh, engine noise, tire noise, wind noise, stuff like that. Okay. And you, do you think cars have improved that these days or are still roughly the same? They've definitely gotten better, mm. but there's a huge difference as you go up in price in, in the cars. And in my opinion, cars are insanely priced as it is it's often better for an enthusiast to find a car where they think they can, that will work for the overall layout of what, of the, what I want to build and then treat the car and not worry about buying a car that's already treated. No, that's fair. Now, what would you say is the best part about building sound systems for you on a personal level or emotionally? One of the things I love about my current job is the creativity and building things, problem solving. And that applies in a car as well. 
the nice thing, uh, whether it's a car or a home, is I have the time to plan things out and think things through and come up with better plans than I would on the fly if I were doing sound professionally for concerts or something. Um, but yeah, the overall creativity, trying to problem solve, um, trying to think. You can model speakers and computers and whatnot now. And so I've literally spent hours modeling speakers and different setups and how they interact with each other, how they're going to work, and then building it and seeing it, that actually come to life. And then the other side of that is listening to it when you sit back and you put on an album that you know really well. I particularly like live albums um, and you put those on really well and you just you disappear into the music. The rest of the world doesn't exist. You just sit back and enjoy it. So wait, how did you actually learn how to build sound system? Did you are you more like a person who reads or do you watch YouTube videos or did, did somebody teach you? Um, a whole lot of reading. Um, I got uh, I started with, a, you know, simple $15 um, a month dial-up connection when I was a teenager. Um, a whole lot of reading online. Um, build logs, people love to document their their builds and reading those, um, finding out where people, um, their experiences when building stuff, seeing what worked, seeing what didn't work. And then um, when I, I spent about three years doing the stuff in cars, so spending time around those, um, you know, every customer has different needs um, and figuring out how to meet that customer's needs and make them make things hit their target, their bullet points. And then the guys I worked with teaching me, you know, practical experience, and as much, as, no matter how much you read, mm -hmm. uh, the practical experience goes a long way. You know, I, I tell people you can read everything you want to know about riding a bull, but you don't know anything until you sat for on eight seconds with that gate opened up, you know. <laughs> um, I remember when I got my first oscilloscope, I spent hours and hours and hours testing things. And I, I found out something as simple as clipping the outputs of an amplifier on a, on a scope looked wildly different than what I had um, read to believe. And then you try new things and you're like, oh, that, I did not know it did that. Even after a few years, it's like, oh, wow, okay, cool. And then you add it into your uh, techniques and your skills. Uh, so how long does it usually take you to complete a project? And what was your longest pro project and what was your shortest project? Um, right now, my Bronco is the longest project. I'm working on it for a couple of years. I've literally re rewired the entire vehicle from scratch, um, converted the engine from a factory carburetor to aftermarket fuel injection, and I've removed the entire factory, or well, I've removed the entire interior, including the entire dashboard, and I'm rebuilding the dashboard for scratch to fit uh, a pair of very specific speakers that I have. And But that's, that's one of those things is um, you build it, as money comes in and um, when you kind of lose out on money or when it's short, you just pause it and stick the car back in the garage and let it sit for a little while. Um, but typically my Miata I've been working on for about a year. I have about 30 hours of work left in it um, and it'll be just about perfect. Um, the, the home theater, I'm probably going to spend about a year on it. I'll probably spend a good six month, uh, months of that just literally woodworking. Man, that, that's going to look amazing. Are you going to post that anywhere? Like a maybe a community that you share all your projects with? Yeah, so I'm on a few different communities. Um, um, the home theater is on a, a forum called AVS Science, and it's in the uh, DIY section. And then uh, the car stuff is in a um, on a forum called DIY Mobile Audio. And I have a couple build threads there, one for the Bronco, one for the Miata. Okay, so perfect. Um, I'm going to ask you for those links, if that's okay, so other people who are listening, they can go check that out, and maybe you can bounce ideas off each other, or give each other tips, and become friends, and make a whole sound system for the entire world. I'm, I'm exaggerating for that, the entire world part, but, <laughs> you know, friendship, that's what it is. It's connections. Yeah. Now, where do you usually go to get new ideas? Do you do YouTube videos, or is it just 
inspirations out of nowhere. You're like, you know what? I like the sound of that. I want a woodpecker kind of type of sound. I want to try to re recreate that uh, with the technology I have. Or do you have friends that say, hey, can you do this? The biggest thing is other people's build logs. Um, you see something, you see someone do something crazy and you're like, oh, wow, I wonder if I could do something like that. Or maybe it spurns off another idea. I do uh, a lot of driving uh, from show to show. And so while I'm driving down the road, I just kind of run through ideas in my mind, um, just kind of let them just think about them for a day while I'm driving through Texas or something, you know? Um, but yeah, definitely seeing what other people have done and going, Hmm, that looks crazy. And sometimes, or sometimes you see a really, really, really elegant solution to a complex problem. You're like, Oh, that's so brilliant. And now all of a sudden you want to rebuild part of your build. <laughs> so I'm guessing you already have that all planned out for your sound system in your theater at home. Uh, are you willing to open up to new ideas for your sound system or you're pretty fixated on this is how I want it? For all the gear I currently have, I don't want to swap it out till, you know, it, it becomes very easy to swap out gear left and right thinking gear is a problem um, when a lot of times it's tuning stuff. So I already have the, the speakers I want. And so right now um, I can very easily change my idea of how I want to build the enclosures for those, but I'm going to stick with those speakers. Um, it's that kind of thing. How long do speakers tend to last? In home use, they can last years. Uh, I have uh, right now what's sitting in my living room. I've had those for 20 years and they're, they still work great. They still sound great. Okay. So speakers are built to last. They're not like everything else built in the 21st century. In, in cars, they don't last nearly as long because cars have to put up with a much, much rougher environment. Um, cold weather, warm weather, humidity, shocking um, heat with them. You know, you, you go out and start your car when it's 20 degrees out and the next thing you know, you're cranking up the interior to 80 degrees. That's not good for anything, especially electronics. Yep. Temperature and electronics do not go well together at all. No. We're, so and if, moisture. Yes, <laughs> definitely moisture. Uh, so if you ever do have a problem with uh, your build or your project, where do you tend to go to find a solution? Um, there's uh, the forums and Facebook groups uh, that are specifically about audio. Um, and I just, I ask questions and I, um, over time you learn who's who. So you kind of, uh, you know, you listen to some people a little bit more than you would others. And some of the people have more experience than me. So you definitely want to listen to them, get an idea. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong. You just kind of, and sometimes you don't know which, so you go just play with their ideas and see what actually works out in real life. And have you always found a solution to every, every problem you had? You always run into compromise, no matter what you end up having to compromise on something. So for example, the Miata, I had an idea when I started building it, I had an idea of what I wanted to build, but I also didn't want to give up any cabin space and any trunk space because the car is small enough as it is. So there's always going to be compromise in a situation like that. I had a spare pair of speakers for the doors that have been sitting on the shelf for close to 10 years and they're phenomenal sounding speakers. They're, they're legendary in the car world. And I put them in there, but they just wouldn't fit right no matter what I did. So I eventually had to stick them back on the shelf and go with something else. And that's just the way that goes sometimes. Do you feel like you're going to go back to that shelf and get it again? Or you're saying, no, oh, that's a project that was in its past. One of the big things with, with that particular car is, you know, it's a convertible and I love to leave the top down, you know, when I park somewhere and I don't have to worry about it. So I want to keep the interior looking as stock as possible. And if I want to use those particular speakers in that car, I would have to modify the interior and it would no longer look stock. And it makes it an easy target for a thief walking through a parking lot. I can, I can see how that can be very enticing. If you're just parking and the music is coming out and you just turned it off, the thief is like, you know what? I like that sound. 
Yeah, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and so so part of that, that that's part of the compromise. So, um, like it's, I said, I have a complete digital chain, and I bypassed the factory stereo to the point that I actually gutted the factory stereo. I glued the buttons back in place so it looks like the factory thing, and then the first DSP is actually inside that radio, hidden in there. So it's a beautiful sound system in disguise. Yes. <laughs> Do you prefer building your sound systems alone or with somebody else? When I run out of skills, uh, it's really great to have somebody else that can that can uh, help out there. But for the most part, I like building alone. It's kind of a, a Zen thing where you're in the garage and you just kind of you got some music going and you're just building and you're just focused on what you're doing and that's it. You know, and when I do that, I don't take the phone out with me. I, I make sure the rest of the world can't reach me. And I'm just in the garage working on something. And would you consider yourself a professional or is this still just your hobbyist at this? Um, I'm definitely a hobbyist. Uh, I. You know, when I left the industry as an installer, uh, I like to joke, you know, I demoted myself a customer, but it's it's definitely a hobby now. Um, after doing it as a profession, I actually took several years off of it just because I, it burned me out of it. And it's one of those things there's, you know, people say, make your, make your hobby your job, you never work a day again. Sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. For me, it didn't work out that way. Maybe, maybe sometime in the future, right? No, actually, I really, really love the video world. And a bunch of skills from various jobs I've done in the past work out in this world. And I love, I specifically do golf tournaments. So uh, I just love that world for a profession. And I don't see myself leaving it anytime soon. That's good. Does other people's opinions about your sound system have an impact on your projects? Depends on who it is. Um, if it's somebody that has a lot of experience listening to stuff, someone that I respect their abilities to build stuff and, and I've listened to what they built and I've been pleased by it, then I definitely listen to their input. But if it's someone that doesn't know anything and they're just like, oh, there's too much bass, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know that I agree with you, you know? Um, so it really just depends on who it is. Speaking of which, do you have any inspirations? Let's say people who are big in the sound system industry or even just family members, let's say your mother, your father, or any other type of family or friends. Um, in the car world is where most of my inspiration came from, since that's where I really started with this. And there's, there's people like Gary Biggs and Mark Eldridge who built absolutely phenomenal vehicles that anybody in the car world knows who they are. They know if you, if you mention Mark Eldridge's forerunner, they're going to ask you which version of it. And you listen to those cars and you, they just give you goosebumps and they're absolutely amazing. So that's like his forerunner is part of where I get the inspiration for my Bronco. And those types of people and the stuff they've done, that, that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from. And so it's so no family member, anybody who encourages you to keep on going? <laughs> my family member thinks, all of my family members thinks I have a ridiculous expensive hobby. <laughs> but I'm sure they appreciate it when you, if you ever do a project for them, uh, improving their sound system, right? And I'm sure they're going to love your new uh, theater once you show it, right? Yeah, they'll actually be blown away. And um, like my dad, the first thing he'll ask me is how much money I have. <laughs> and I'll just do everything I can to avoid answering that question. You just say, just tell him it's free. <laughs> I don't think he'll believe that. <laughs> what was your biggest challenge when you first started uh, building sound systems? Finding good knowledge. Um, like I said, you go online to the forums and you start reading. Um, and quickly you find some books to read, like the loudspeaker cookbook is a great book to start out with. But like, like with any field you start off is finding out what is actual good knowledge, finding out what things are called to begin with. Like, I didn't know, I, I read lots of poor description of what a crossover was before I actually understood what it does. And so finding out, finding that thing is just the, that's the hardest part is finding solid information. And over time you learn online what user handles you can trust when, when they start giving information and whatnot. So that. 
once you once you know that it becomes a lot easier because then you start you just start basically um going through their history and reading whatever you can find from them and gather up as much knowledge as you po possible that way and also apply it later yeah. on yeah duh what is your current biggest challenge in the my biggest challenge right now is the Bronco is um, I'm literally having to one of my goals this year is to learn how to weld so I can um, I don't want to use wood in that project because it's also a convertible and I hate the idea of putting wood in an open environment like a convertible. So I need to learn how to weld to do the dash the way I need to do it as well as I need to cut out part of the floor to do the amp rack and stuff and I need to build a new floor in that section. So that's that's um my biggest challenge right now is literally metal working yeah wood and moisture do not play along well no although they use it a lot in boats oddly enough <laughs> yeah I, I get the idea that it floats but yeah it's not the best with water the yeah no so. and i tend i want to when i build things I, I i tend to keep vehicles for decades so uh when i build something i want it to last as long as the rest of the car i don't want to have to go back four years later and tear it out and rebuild it and so you know how wood doesn't work well with water. Do you have any pet peeves in the sound system industry or either what communities are discussing or anything like that? Um, my biggest frustration is the uh, self-proclaimed audiophiles, people who don't believe you should have an EQ in the system. They believe that you should swap out gear till you find the right thing for your setup. And that just simply doesn't work. Um, it's too expensive of a, of a way of going about life. And you can do amazing things with low budget gear if you're willing to spend the money and actually learn how it works versus these swapping things out. The guys that spend $10,000 on RCA cables when a $15 cable would have done perfectly well. And you literally, you can't measure the difference. You can't hear the difference. It's that kind of silliness that, that drives me absolutely up the wall. It's back to that 4K uh, thing you're talking about, right? Yeah. But wait, next year we're going to get 16K. <laughs> you won't see the difference. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, what are some misconceptions about people who build sound systems? Um, everybody has, you know, they can recall the time at 2 o'clock in the morning when the guy drove by with his loud car stereo rattling the windows on your house. And so when you tell people that you're in the sound systems, that's their first thing they want that, that picture like, oh, you just want really loud bass and you're going to annoy the hell out of everybody else on the road. And as much as you stress, that's not what I'm going for. And yes, I have a ton of power in my car, but that's not what it's for. It isn't until they actually listen to it and they, they suddenly go, oh, this guy is actually not just a grown up teenager. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like when I tell people that I produce music, they're like, oh, you're a DJ. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I produce it from scratch. Like, so you're not a DJ? I'm like, no, unfortunately, I, I don't know how to do that. It's the idea that, oh yeah, you can do everything. You know how to do it. You're a sound system. You could fix TVs. You could fix a car. You could, you could fix a boat, right? Well, that's, yeah. And also another thing is when you tell people you're into it, they, they immediately start asking you for advice. And you're like, well, I don't know what your house looks like. I don't know what your house sounds like. Every room sounds different, whether it's a car or a house or even stadiums. Like if you're doing a tour, professional sound for a tour, every stadium sounds different. The Tacoma Dome in Seattle sounds horrible. Some stadiums sound absolutely amazing. Um, and so you can't just give people blanket advice if you don't know what they actually want and what this, their situation looks like. And oftentimes they don't have the budget to do what they want to do. So you kind of struggle with that. And you're like, well, I can help you, but you have to want that help enough to spend the money for it. And they try to look for discounts and try to negotiate with you to try to figure out a cheaper solution, but 
keeping the high quality at the same time. It's a tricky, tricky situation. Yeah. It is not impossible, but it's pretty tricky if you want the 4K, 8K kind of like resolution, but you're paying well, for... Well, and where people struggle, um, and uh, the photographer you had on recently can can definitely talk about this. The people that struggle is um, where they really lose a lot of money is in the tripod example for a photographer. You first buy your first $70 tripod, and then after five uses, you're like, oh, this thing is a piece of junk. So you spend $50 on a tripod, or $150 on a tripod, and then you're like, I mean, it's great, but it'd be better if it did this, this, and this. So then you spend $300 on a tripod and you're like, well, it still falls short of this when really what you should have done is just spent the money on the $750 tripod to be from the get-go and you'd have been happy and you'd have it for decades. Exactly. And you see the same thing with, with audio equipment. People want it cheap out at the beginning and then they immediately find shortfalls. So they up, they up their price a little bit and then they, it does better for a little while and it holds them over longer when they really should have just gone for the nicer thing to begin with. And of course, before getting all these things, do your research. Yeah. Absolutely do some research. Just don't go buying things blindly because that will be a mistake later on in the long run. But I do think that's how a lot of people get into the hobby in the first place, though, is they, they go to a shop, they listen to what the sales guy has, uh, what he says, and then they buy it. And then when they get home after a few months, they're like, well, I wish it was better. And then then they start taking it seriously. And they go through the same phase a lot of people go through where they start learning, but they start listening to the wrong people. They spend money they shouldn't be spending. They, they spend money too soon, um, whereas they should wait until they know a bit more and then spend money. And it's, it's one of those cycles a lot, of, a lot of new people in the industry go through. See, like I was, I was the same situation where I, when I was setting up this podcast, I found a good deal on Amazon where it's the, for my microphone for the arm, the pop filter and all the equipment for like $45 Canadian. So it's even cheaper in American. And then uh, I knew the microphone was a $20 mic, which wasn't what I wanted, but for everything else, it was a great deal. So I replaced the microphone with the one I wanted. And there was this thing called a eyeball, which is pretty much a giant foam ball where you put your microphone in to try to isolate more of the sound. No, yeah. Kind of like a windsock. Yeah. 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 And that thing costs like $150. And I wasn't ready to buy because I bought two mics. So one for my guests, if I ever have guests in the show. But I wasn't ready to pay $150 for two, sorry, $200 for two. So total $400. So I decided to buy a yellow foam gym ball and cut it up <laughs> and just shove a microphone inside. And it works great. Yeah. And there, there are those little hacks that, you know, small things that cost next to nothing. And they make a world of difference, whether it's audio, video, no matter what, there's little tiny things that can make a world of difference in your life. And sometimes it is hacking other equipment. So it goes to show that you should spend your money on things that are you can't cheap out on, like a microphone or speakers. If you want a certain type of quality, you can't really cheap out on the speakers or the microphone. But additional accessories, it could be possible that you could find cheaper alternatives. So it's all about research, right? Yeah, actually, um, one of the areas I urge people to cheap out on is amplifiers, because for the most, their job should solely be to make signal coming into them louder. They shouldn't change it in any way, shape, or form. So as long as whatever amplifier they're buying does that and it offers the power they want, and I always urge to go more power than you think you need, um, you'll be happy with it. You'll never notice that um, it's not a $20,000 amplifier. And that's a, that's a huge thing. That's actually one of the areas that the home world suffers for, from is um, a lot of amplifiers for what you're getting are way overpriced. And so I suggest people actually look at the professional world for amplifiers because they're, they're a lot better value. Do you want to present your hobby to the world or just use it, use it as an escape from reality? So in other words, if somebody said, Hey, 
I'd love to learn more about this. Can you teach me? Would you be the type to be there hands on or say, go look online and figure it out somewhere else? I love teaching people. I don't want to do it in any kind of professional capacity, but I love one-on-one -on -one teaching people. I love to see that light bulb moment when someone suddenly gets something that, that, and you can remember that same moment. You're like, oh, I remember when I, when, when I had that moment myself. Um, I love that stuff. And I love to see creativity. New people, sometimes their ideas are insane and won't work. And sometimes their ideas are insane and will work. And you're like, oh, that's brilliant. Let's try it. And um, sometimes even when you know it's not going to work, you're like, let's try it. Because I, I want the person to see why it won't work. And that's just as much learning as when it does work. I don't know about you, but for me, like I just started podcasting and I made some sort of tutorial online for like on Reddit so people can learn how to do it. And I made it for myself too. I'm a very, I'm the type of person that I like to make instructions for anything I do. So like setting up equipment, editing and stuff like that. So my question to you would be, do you plan on making a type of guide, not just for yourself, but like for other people that they can use in the future? I have done, done that actually for a very specific piece of gear. Um, there's a one-man company in Latvia that makes a, a sound processor. And he is, he originally made it for the pro audio world. And then he made a car version because there was some demand for it. And it does some stuff that car processors can't do. And I bought one. And the software that comes with it is very much geared for the pro world. And in the pro world, whether it's video or audio, uh, we're used to complex software and the interface doesn't look like it's not pretty. And so I actually made a guide on how to figure out how to use this thing. And it's it's funny because it, it looks really, really, really complex. And once you know how it works, you can tune a system in five, 10 minutes. But at first, it's really, really intimidating. So I, I enjoyed I enjoyed doing that. But outside of that, no, nah, not really. I, I love putting up build logs and showing people what I'm building and getting feedback from that. But outside of that, I'm not too much into like, let's go do a whole project and make a make a thing out of it. So when you're building your uh, sound system, is it more like a family recipe where you have little secret ingredients that you don't share with everybody? So it's still your personal thing or you just give the whole recipe? I'm I'm 100% open book. When I'm asking someone for advice or explaining when I, when I have a weird problem, I want it, you know people to have all the information, as much information as I have so that um, I can come up with solutions as well. And if I was competing, there is actually a uh, competition circuit for car audio for sound quality. If I was competing, I'd probably, you know, be a little bit less open book about it just to, you know, have a better chance at winning. But um, because it's just a hobby, no, I'm 100% open book. So when it is a competition, how is it judged? Is it uh, professional people who listen to it or is it an actual, let's say, a robot or a system that's measuring these sounds and determining, doing the calculations to determine the levels? Um, so the competitions, they, uh, they actually have certified judges and they're listening to the stereo. And then uh, they also have uh, specific CDs that they're using to listen to. So everybody knows exactly what tracks are being, being used to judge it right from the get-go. And then there's actual scoring sheets. So there's a, there's a form and basically they go through the form. And oftentimes there's, um, you know, five, six judges at a single competition that'll listen to your setup. That's pretty cool. And you've been to one of these? Yeah, I used to compete in them. Um, I built a car that took uh, fourth place in nationals way back in 2002, I think it was. It was a customer's car. Um, that turned out to be actually harder car to build than the car we built that set a world record for um, being loud. <laughs> really? Yeah. Just because there's so much more effort and detail that goes into it. And that was, again, back in the analog days. 
So there was a lot of, it was hard to test them. In fact, it was hard to get objective data. So it was a lot of build, trial, tear it apart, build it again, over and over and over again. That sounds pretty exciting. I'd love to go to one of those competitions. I, my, my ear is not trained for that, but I would love to try to just hear the subtle differences or that sounds cool. Yeah. And a lot of competitors will let spectators listen to their cars um, and they'll give you five, 10 minutes or whatever. Just put on whatever music you want to listen to and, and listen to it. Okay. Well, you're going to have to send me the link where people can find this or hear more about this or listen or sorry, not listen, but learn more about this. So they can probably either participate or go see one of these competitions in the future. Absolutely. Now, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in your hobby? Um, again, it's try to avoid that spending money loop. Try to learn and be, be happy with your gear that you buy at first and learn how to tune it by tuning tools. Don't buy speakers and amplifiers and start swapping them out. That's the biggest thing. You'll save a lot of, a lot, a lot of money that way and you'll be a lot happier a lot faster. And what is the, the biggest challenge when it comes to building cars compared to home sound systems? Cars, um, there's two things. One is the noise, which I mentioned, and the other one is space. Uh, are you willing to cut up your doors? Are you willing to cut up your dash? Are you willing to cut up like the A-pillars and build stuff? You have, you have to learn a lot of different skills. Like I, I know how to work with wood, fiberglass. I know how to um, do some metal work. Like I said, I need to learn how to weld. But the biggest thing is space. And there's always, always a ton of compromises in cars. Um, in home, there is a space issue as well, but you can also often find a closet and it's just a matter of making cables longer to hide your gear in the closet and you know, make a good presentation in your room. But one of the bigger problems in homes is homes aren't deadened for noise. So if you put on uh, John Wick and you're, you have it turned up really loud, when he's pounding on the basement and, uh, to get his guns out of, out of the floor of his basement, you're going to piss off your neighbors. Um, and so, so you need to keep that in check. And also power is harder in homes. A single, single 15 amp circuit, you're going to run out of amplifier power if you're going for something big. Um, so you need to run multiple circuits that gets expensive. In a car, to get more power, you just upgrade the alternator and upgrade your wire sizes. And that's, that's a weekend project. Whereas in a home, you're bringing an electrician, you're adding breakers to your panel, trying to figure out how to get the circuit back over where your gear is. and yeah, that, that gets really complex really quick that way. So they both have their challenges. But for the home, you said uh, your neighbor's hearing your music if, or your sound if it gets too loud. Are you making your uh, the home theater soundproof? No, that, that re would really require tearing apart the walls and, and basically building them out, building layers of soundproofing and stuff. That's, that's something that gets really expensive and really complex really, really, really fast. And your dad would ask you how much it would cost. <laughs> My, he would think I'm insane. <laughs> and, and maybe I'm, I am, you know, I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 you're passionate. You're not insane, you're passionate. <laughs> now, do you have any social media with links or website you'd like to share? It could be personal or it can be other people's or websites for where you get your gear or your equipment. Um, I use the same. I don't have a specific website for this stuff and I don't have a Facebook page for it. But if you just Google the name Lumberman SVO, basically that's the handle I've used my entire life. And um, you'll find various user profiles, various forms, and so on and so forth. And you can find my builds there. The two places where you'll find threads that I've started for my builds are DIY Mobile Audio and AVS Form. Uh, yeah, the AVS Forms. Perfect. And I'm guessing this is like Instagram, Twitter, private, another website, and all these so Lumberman, right? Lumberman SVO. SVO. Lumberman SVO. Okay, I'll put all the I'll put the link in the description below so people can find it and uh, yeah, and I'll I'll send you direct links to the actual build threads. Perfect, perfect. So 
People will have all the access to it. It'll be easy, click and go, and hopefully you build a great sound system and maybe one day you can meet up with John and, you know, build another home theater somewhere else. Or I don't, I don't know, fine. Make friends, build a community, right? Absolutely. There's The community is actually really, really great. I've seen when I was actually uh, competing and stuff, I've seen competitors that people in their class, they help them rebuild stuff on a job, on a show site, help them fix things that had gone wrong last moment, even though it, they, the person they were helping is very well beat them in that competition. It's a really, really, really friendly circuit. That's good to know that it's not like, uh, let's say, I'm not saying ballet is a cutthroat industry, but I hear like dancers can be pretty competitive towards each other. Sure. But it's good to know that uh, in the sound system industry, uh, people are willing to help. And regardless if it's somebody's going to be better than you, it's the idea of sharing, helping out and building the community because it's more important than winning the competition. Yeah. And yeah, I, there's even, even, you know, after the show, you know, everybody goes back to their hotels and sometimes you have a bunch of people staying at the same hotel. They end up in the parking lot helping each other tune like, oh, hey, you lost some points here. So if you did this, maybe it'll help you out. You know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. That's pretty cool. Do you have any questions for me about sound systems? It could be absolutely anything at all. I'm not an expert, but I'll try my best. Are there, are there any particular sound systems you heard that stood out to you? And if so, what, what made them stand out? Um, for me, uh, stand out. Um, so I like uh, when I record my, uh, either my music or my podcast, I like using the audio technic, uh, technica, uh, equipment because they tend to be very neutral sound. Yeah, uh, because when I'm doing editing, I'm focusing on the bass, like a lot like you, but I try to make it neutral. I don't like using uh, beats by Dre. Yeah, <laughs> for the simple reason that they focus heavily on bass. Yeah, actually, there's a there's a band I really love out of Seattle, and um, I've seen them live countless, countless times in small bars and stuff. And one of their albums is a really, really, really great album. But when you listen to it, you can hear the person that mastered it had no bass in their mastering room because they they cranked up the bass way too loud and because the band uses natural instruments it doesn't sound natural on the on the recording because it was a the mastering job was poor yeah it's a lot it's a lot of trial and error when it comes to editing because like i'm using uh an eddie roll by roland it's a ua 25 ex it's a audio interface and i was like when i'm still learning i'm trying oh should i use a mixer and stuff like that because like you, sound is very important for me and I can drive myself insane when I'm editing a podcast because I'm I'm so picky, I'm nitpicky and I try to figure out, oh, does this sound right? Does this sound right? And each episode I'm like, oh, well, maybe I did better on the last one. Oh, maybe I'll do better on the next one. I'm, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm a perfectionist. Would you consider yourself a perfectionist? I like to try and stop at the point of diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, to answer your question... Um, yeah, it's definitely when it comes to sound systems, I like the ones that are very neutral and that do replicate the most accurate sound that the ear would actually hear. Yeah. So I would love to listen to what you have just to see what you got. But at the same time, if I listen to it through my system, it won't come out the same way as if it's coming out of your system. Right. That's uh, everything sounds different. And there's a trend that's been happening the last couple of years of people recording systems with their phone and posting the videos on the YouTube and going, see how it sounds like, no, that's how your phone sounds. And that's how your laptop sounds. That's not how the system sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like watching once again, a 4k video on a 270p screen. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this 4k. Wow. I could see all four pixels. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you, John, so much for coming on my show and talking about your passion. I'm, I learned a lot more and I'm going to do more research about it because I'm actually interested if they have a competition in my area. I'm definitely going to go check it out. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about John, you could find him in the links below. I'll put all the description there so it'll be easy to find. And if you'd like to be on my show or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>